Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial podcast and commentary. My name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial, a perspective to help you win, not just endure. Available in both paperback and Kindle on the Amazon book platform. Written by Charles P. Malone. Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial Book Reading and Commentary, Episode 9, Part 2, pages 127 to 136. My name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial. Today's episode is titled, This Too Shall Pass, Part 2. Okay, if you remember how we finished up Part 1... I had just introduced you to King Benjamin, a righteous Nephite king who also served God as a prophet. He had grown old, and knowing that his days on earth were coming to a close, he asked his son Mosiah to gather the people of Zarahemla at the temple so he could teach them the way God would have them live. So let's begin on page 127. King Benjamin taught that the purpose of earth life is to progress. When we are infants, we are filled with the goodness and nativity. But over time, we succumb to Satan's temptations and make choices that often follow our natural cravings. And thus we take on the nature of a natural man. And I think spiritually, we began to take on attributes like that of burned skin. Every time we get too close to the fire of sin, our spirit becomes sin-burned. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul teaches about the natural man not being able to receive revelation from God because of his nature. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That's in 1 Corinthians 2, 14. In James 4, verse 4, we are taught that even a friendship of the world is enmity with God. And I quote, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. End quote. Christ promised he would not leave us comfortless when he departed this earthly life as a mortal. And he was true to his word. He sent the Holy Ghost to reside with mankind and to assist in connecting God to his children on earth. In addition, God called prophets and apostles to teach his word among his children. These teachings were written and have become scripture another means of providing spiritual comfort during times of trial. And of course, the ultimate comfort of all the all-encompassing peace that Christ's atoning sacrifice brings into our lives. King Benjamin further taught that trial was allowed on earth to help bad men become good and good men better, and to cause us to experience a mighty change of heart or in other words, to have our fallen natures changed. See Mosiah 5, verse 2. 
King Benjamin goes on to teach about the purposes of mortality and trial and of the role Christ's atonement plays in successfully navigating through this life. King Benjamin speaks clearly and succinctly, leaving no room for doubt as he warns, and I quote, for the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Mosiah 3 verse 19. The trials we experience while on earth assist in putting off the natural man or woman in each of us as we can become more suitable for the kingdom of God. And I quote, but behold, I say unto you, the kingdom of God is not filthy and there cannot any unclean thing enter into the kingdom of God. Wherefore, there must needs be a place of filthiness prepared for that which are filthy. That's in 1 Nephi 15:34. King Benjamin taught his people that everyone has some of the natural man in them. But through making more correct choices than bad, we can overcome the pull of sin upon us and shed that burned skin through the atonement of Jesus Christ. We will make mistakes, but when we do, we can repent and become clean because Christ paid for those sins through his atoning sacrifice. It is often trials in our lives that humble our hearts to repent and seek forgiveness. As in the example of a burn victim's healing process, we also regress in our efforts to shed the natural man in us. We take two steps forward and then something happens and we make mistakes which cause us to fall back a step or two, but we keep enduring, keep moving forward until the next trial comes along, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men, found in 2 Nephi 31.20. One can experience the sweetness of trial by accepting the atonement of Jesus Christ for what it was, not for what it wasn't. It isn't a free pass to heaven. Rather, it is a purchase. Christ purchased our sins by paying the ultimate price of suffering for each one of our sins. In some manner, actual and terrible, terribly real, though to man incom incomprehensible, the Savior took upon himself the burden of the sins of mankind from Adam to the end of the world. That was found in Jesus the Christ by James E. Talmadge. This was not a symbolic gesture on the part of Christ, a shadow of things to come. This was real, and now. The end was near. Jesus, having partaken of the last meal he would have before his death, invited eleven of his apostles, Judas having been excused with the words, That thou doest, do quickly to walk with him to an olive orchard on the slope of Mount Olivet, known as Gethsemane. Sending Judas Iscariot away had set in motion events prophesied 
hundreds of years before Christ's birth, the betrayal, the atonement, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dread hung in the air as the small band made their way to the garden entrance. So much had happened that night, so much for Christ's chosen apostles to comprehend, to internalize. The very nature of the evening's events was so final. Christ had washed their feet, a gesture of humility and service, no matter your station in life. But now the apostles were being taught a higher law, one of which they had yet to learn. The amazing discourse after the supper, in which Christ sought to prepare his apostles for his earthly separation from them, was followed by the Savior's promise that he would not leave them comfortless, but would send the Holy Ghost. Christ had tried to warn them, tried to prepare them for this time, but they had little understanding of the full impact of those warnings. Christ reminded them that they would be persecuted and tormented as never before for his name's sake. However, they were chosen, called from above to fulfill their mission on earth. And if they remained faithful, they would succeed. And I quote again, I will not leave you comfortless. Found in John 14, 18. He told the apostles that night in the upper room, I must go, but I will send you the comforter to dwell with you and in your heart as I have dwelt with you. John 14, 15 to 20. The concluding prayer was offered by Christ, calling upon the Father to bless and preserve his apostles as they carried forth the great work he had established while in the world. If there was any doubt that Jesus was literally the Son of a God, a separate and distinct Father in heaven who loved his Son so much, that doubt must have been extinguished as Christ spoke to his Father in humble prayer, as only a son would speak. Is there any wonder these men were physically and mentally drained as they accompanied their master to the orchard gate? Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder, and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Matthew twenty-six thirty-six. Christ instructed his weary apostles. Feeling weary himself, he asked Peter and two apostles to watch over him while he sought solitude in the garden. But after a short walk, the night events weighing heavily on his soul, Jesus bade the three apostles to wait and watch, not wanting to be disturbed for what lie ahead. Only he could face. As I read the marvelous account of the Savior's atoning moment in the writings of Matthew, Mark, and John, I realize Christ's trial in the garden was anything but a moment. Several times during the night, Jesus came from the garden only to find his charges asleep, but it is recorded that at least one of the three apostles apostles heard the Savior's plea that this cup shall pass from me. 
evidencing that trial of this magnitude was terrifying even to one who was begotten of the Father. Luke writes, There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. I have pondered this passage many times, trying to comprehend the agony of a father watching his son writhing in pain. Or is that writhing in pain? <laughs> anyway, he would not deprive his son of the experience of trial and the growth it would provide. He sent support, not removal. I think this is significant in raising our own children or in counseling others. Having the ability or authority to remove trial from someone's life is not necessarily the best action to take. Sometimes being at their side, offering support, prayer, and love will have a more positive outcome in months and years ahead. The father could have released the son from his trial, but he chose to offer support instead. Having tasted the sweetness that trial brings, in retrospect, I would not ask the trial to be removed, only to receive strength and wisdom on how to endure and grow from it. We are fortunate to have further revelation into the extent of what caused Christ to bleed from every pore in this 1830 revelation to the prophet Joseph Smith contained in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 19, 16 through 19. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer, even as I, which suffering cause myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain, and to bleed at every pore, and to suffer both body and spirit, and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father, and I partook, and finished my preparations unto the children of men. The pain was so incomprehensible, the experience horrifying, as he witnessed and somehow absorbed the atrocities of mankind from Adam to the ends of the earth. He not only survived this experience, finished my preparations unto the children of men, as he quoted, he endured and grew from it. As a young boy, I attended church in a Norman Rockwell-type setting, complete with belfry, its peal welcoming those who come to worship. The minister usually stood at the entry to the little church, shaking hands and expressing joy to see everyone. Once inside, the mood changed to a hush. There was no doubt there was something special about this little chapel with hardware pews and stained glass windows. As we found our seats, it was not appropriate to speak unless in the softest whisper, which even drew stern looks from parents and others. Our, as children, we knew to leave our restless ways at the door, for this was a time to worship and to be taught by the minister. I recently visited this little chapel after an absence of over 50 years to mourn the passing of my aunt. 
It was as if no time had passed at all, except for padded seats on the hardwood pews. I was asked by my aunt's surviving children to read the 23rd Psalm, a passage of scripture loved by their mother. I had no idea the opportunity might present itself to actually speak from the minister's pulpit. And neither did the minister. As, as he came down and handed me the portable microphone to make my comments from the bottom beneath the pulpit. But rather than just take the portable microphone and recite the psalm, I scooted around him and headed for the mountain. <laughs> I say mountain because I had no idea just how high and somewhat intimidating this pulpit was until I started up. The look on the minister's face told the whole story. This was his domain, and I had dared enter it without invitation, as if that was even an option, but the view of the congregation was spectacular. And for just a moment, I was Billy Graham, the evangelist preacher, my grandma memes Sunday church on television. I gathered my thoughts, held the microphone to my lips, and spoke these words. The Lord is my shepherd, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This beautiful passage from David must have been a favorite of the entire Leopold family as my mother and her siblings were growing up, because I remember my own mother having this passage written below a depiction of the Savior kneeling at the rock, praying to his father that if there was any way this trial could be removed, then let it be. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. When Jesus approached the rock at Gethsemane, he did so with a reverence for what was about to happen. His mortal frame and soul overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death in Matthew 26, 38. The final preparation of his apostles, knowing the persecution they would yet endure in defense of his name and teachings, the betrayal of a trusted disciple, the trial of his faith that lie ahead. O oh, my Father, 
if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Matthew 26, 39. Even Jesus Christ was tested in mortality to the precipice of doubt, and yet he did not succumb to the natural man within him, but descended below all things so that he might experience all things. I am human, my brothers and sisters, sent to earth as you to be tried and tested. At times I make poor choices still. Sometimes I fall prey to the natural man within me still and have need of my Savior's atoning sacrifice in my life. My Savior set the example. He was a perfect man, though mortal, for a moment. Even the Son of God hesitated in the moment of trial. I do not believe this was a flaw in the character of Jesus, but rather a message to you and me that trial was not intended to be easy, but we can move through it anyway. I anticipate the coming Sabbath, entering the sacred chapel of my new church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, this was many years ago when I was 18, and I remember partaking of the fruits of that fateful night Christ suffered in Gethsemane. I am greeted by the sound of happy voices and pleasant exchanges between neighbors and friends. The feeling is different as I enter this chapel. I still feel the spirit of Christ here, but in a different way. It is not the heartbeat silence that brings the spirit, but I feel it in the warm embrace, the hearty handshake, and the hug of concern expressed to me by my new ward family. We are more than weekly parishioners for parishioners who worship together. We are family joined together under baptismal comfort, covenants and promises to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light, yea, and are willing to mourn with those that mourn, yea, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. In Mosiah 18, 8-9. I make my way to my pew. It is familiar to me now. It is to become my rock in the garden as I prepare for that sacred experience promised by Christ, as he confided to his disciples that he must go so that the Comforter may come. I seek the presence of the Comforter to interpret those personal revelatory feelings streaming down from heaven as the veil is parted for my sake and the offering of my sin complete. I noticed the last minute flurry of white shirts and tousled hair of ironic priesthood holding young men. 
attending to last-minute details, so my spiritual experience goes undisturbed. I think about how grateful I am to these young men for their dedication and priesthood service. They prepare the sacred emblems that I may partake, renewing my personal covenants and promises made upon entering the waters of baptism so many years ago. I prepare my heart and mind as a melodic hymn is played in the background while those officiating in their priesthood duties complete their tasks. I think of the week past, the myriad of choices made, some good, some not so good. I focus on my weaknesses. A resolve is made to become stronger in fighting the cravings of the natural man, to be seen of men, to overcome the pride that dwells in my heart at times to avoid following my will and to become closer to the Spirit so that I may know the Father's will for me. He knows me better than I know myself. If there is a trial in my life at the moment, I try to gain understanding and strength. If someone I know is going through trial, I pray for guidance on how I might be used to serve another. A prayer is offered, bringing me back to the present, a blessing upon the bread, the emblems of his body, which was broken and torn for us, that we might live again beyond the grave. Then another prayer, a similar blessing upon the water, signifying the shedding of Christ's blood willingly for you and I, if we will but remember him and keep his commandments, which he has given us, a promise in return that we will have his spirit to be with us. With my spiritual cleansing complete, I now feel stronger and more resolute in becoming all I can be. I have tasted the sweetness of Christ's atonement. It is familiar to me. It is that same sweetness felt when Christ's arms were enveloped around me during trial, at a time when I had walked through the valley of shadows and uncertainties before me and had become lost. I had become so weak in faith that I had tried to win the race on my own strength and failed, my pride now stripped of its position. Of leadership in my heart, I humbly submitted myself to a loving and wise Heavenly Father so completely and openly in return, peace filled my soul and a brightness of hope began to shine as the words, this too shall pass, were etched in my heart and mind. His promise on that faithful night in the upper room now fulfilled. <sighs> 
that I shall not leave you comfortless. I am now strengthened with the brightness of hope that all will be well. My brothers and sisters, I hope the teachings of King Benjamin and my sharing a piece of my own walk in faith, a little emotional, I was overtaken by that. But I hope it has uplifted you in wanting to become your best self. This earth life is not for resting, but rather a time for testing, overcoming, and becoming. I invite you to join me as we turn the page and start reading on page 137, episode 10, part 1 of Hope Smiles. I'll see you on the other side, but I want to thank you for taking your time to spend a few minutes with me, listening to my book reading and commentary, and emotion, I guess. I'm not a polished reader, as you can tell, I, or, or a speaker, pronouncer, and I have, I have trouble pronouncing some words. But I hope you will continue to listen to the spirit within you as I read, so that you too may experience the sweetness of trial. Until next time, have a blessed day. My friends, thank you so much for spending your time with me today in discussing the sweetness of trial. Please join me in future episodes as we learn how to not only endure trial, but to win from it as we continue our journey through my book, The Sweetness of Trial.